Art of the Kickstart, Episode 93. Welcome to the Art of the Kickstart.com, where entrepreneurs are constantly pushing the envelope to build businesses of greatness. Inventors are innovating and creating the products of the future, and backers stand strong for what they believe. These are some of the great thinkers, inventors, and leaders of our time. Here are their stories. Guys, launching a Kickstarter campaign isn't exactly easy. That's why the majority of Kickstarters fail, despite how hard interns work. I put together a free six-step email mini-course to try to eradicate this evil issue and help inventors and entrepreneurs everywhere. If you guys go to artofthekickstart.com slash checklist, you can get the new and improved six-step guide that's going to walk you step-by-step through making your Kickstarter, your crowdfunding campaign happen. Check it out, artofthekickstart.com slash checklist and make your crowdfunding dreams happen. Guys, we've had technology issues. We've had this, that, and the other. But I am pumped to have Dan Andrews on the show today. Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, the show where we take inventors and entrepreneurs to the next level. And that's what Dan's here to do. Thanks so much for coming today, Dan. Cheers, Matt. It's my pleasure. So it's funny, Dan. Typically, when you're on an interview show, people are going to know who you are. But in this case, they don't. So I'm going to give you a little bit of an intro. Guys, Dan has been really influential for me in my entrepreneurial journey. I started out, like most people, I wanted to create something crazy. The next Silicon Valley startup, I discovered Tropical NBA, which is basically Dan's baby, in addition to the actual businesses he runs, and learned a little bit more about solo entrepreneurship, building something amazing. I wanted to get him on to share today what he's learned and how he can help you guys, inventors, turn these into serious, scalable businesses. So thanks for coming today, Dan. Cheers, Matt. I appreciate it. We kick these off with a life quote, a success quote. What do you got? Anything cool? Um, so why didn't you prepare me for that? I want to know about your podcast thing, man. How, how, who has a success quote off the top of their head? What is yours? My success quote, I would say, do what you love. And I think that's really do something that you need to look into. Because if you're doing something that you hate, it's kind of a shit. Basically, what's happiness? Where's happiness come from? Where's happiness come from for you, Dan? Yeah, that's an interesting one because I love watching the NBA and no one's paying me for that yet, but uh, I think it's been a great season. I think the NBA is like the hottest sport right now. Yeah, I think that's an interesting one is this idea that Dan Norris talked about in his new book called The Seven Day Startup. He was talking about the importance of founder, basically founder business fit. And if you know Dan, he's like, he's got really strong opinions And so he's like the ideal person to like kind of launch this idea. But I do think there's something there. Like if you're running a business that doesn't leverage your own unique talents, every day you're losing some efficiency or leverage that you could otherwise have. The hard part is knowing what that fit is. And I don't think it's always easy to know. I totally agree. And one of the things I think with do what you love, really, it doesn't have to apply 100% to business. It has to apply to life. So life and business, there's a There's a crazy balance. I know you have the crazy balance. You're living this digital nomadic life. What would you say to people that are trying to find that bit of balance, which really, if you're starting a business, it's like a hundred hour, a hundred hour work week or whatever the hell you're doing. How do you find a balance that not only works to push you forward, but it's going to work long term. So you basically don't burn yourself out. Yeah. I don't know if I'm the best person to talk about balance. I mean, I guess the approach that I've always taken is that really the promise of this lifestyle is that it's it's not 
the traditional balance is like work and kind of not work, right? Like you get off at five and then you shut off the email or whatever and you, you know, go mountain bike, you know, whatever. But that's not really the kind of attunement or the approach that I take or that I've seen other successful people take. They seem to care more about their businesses than that, such that they might be willing to think about them all the time and that might not be such a big deal. Do you I have the dreams balance. about your business? Uh, I probably have, actually. Oh, I know. Probably I have. do. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I, this is a tough one. I don't, I don't really have any clear idea except that that work-life balance is traditionally talked about, you know, like leaving the office at the office. I think that we're looking for a more integrated approach when you're talking about lifestyle businesses, which is a business that you want to think about. And it's okay if it comes home with you. And that's where the love aspect comes in. That's what people say all the time. If you actually enjoy what you're doing, then you can live it, love it, and it's not something that's going to crush you. But I think we need to jump into what your business is, Dan, because honestly, some people probably don't know. So Dan, Dan's pretty successful when it comes to product-based businesses. Talk us through both Valet Up and Modern Cat Design, just to get a little bit of background on physical products. That's why we wanted to get you on. Yeah, sure. So... I started my business in 2007. You know, we started with a loan complete from scratch. We had two product ideas. One was a, uh, a valet parking key control device, and one was a piece of contemporary cat furniture. And so we developed them in parallel, took a loan from a business partner at the time, ordered, you know, designed it ourselves in SolidWorks, ordered those products from China in a like a half a container load, spent a bunch of money and it took a big risk. And just absolutely slogged it out for uh, years, it felt like. And now it's a multi-million dollar business. We've got ourselves in a good groove. I think we have 15 employees now, a warehouse in California. But it, it was a hard run. It wasn't like an overnight success or anything. I mean, we definitely didn't have a lot of that balance for the first three or four years. I'm not so sure we have that balance now, to be honest. But uh, at least we've made it to the point where you know we're earning more than we earned back at our corporate jobs. And we're saving for retirement, and uh, growing a good business. And you enjoy life a little bit on the side. That breaks up so many questions, though, Dan. So A, you launched two businesses in parallel. That seems, everyone tells me that's a terrible idea. What are your thoughts? I don't know. Because the problem is, is that you don't know what's going to work at the beginning. And so if you could find a way to, you know, if they say 9 out of 10 small businesses fail, the, the right, right response might be to start 10 small businesses. So if we would have just focused on the cat furniture you might not have invited me to this interview today because it turns out that the B2B stuff, the parking thing, was the business that really drove our profitability and drove our future product development. The cat furniture stuff is just a funny story and a cool-looking product, but it never got us to that you know, million-dollar sales year or helped us to develop a future product. So you know, if I just would have focused on that, maybe I would have given up or thought that I wasn't a good entrepreneur or whatever. So there is a lot of chance that comes into this stuff. There are things that you can't predict ahead of time. B2C, B2B, B2C, you bring it up. Most of the inventors on here are creating crowdfunding-based products. That means primarily they're B2C. What are your thoughts on the two and how people that are creating customer-based products can also pivot those towards businesses? Well, the, the real issue with B2C versus B2B is lifetime value of a customer. And so if you create a widget that you're going to sell for 15 bucks a pop, that's going to be really difficult to have a budget in there for marketing, for staff, for all that. A lot of people that I'm seeing on Kickstarter have success 
they're doing like more prosumer products. So products that they can charge hundreds of dollars for consumers that are like super interested in a space. And so they'll hang around, maybe make repeat purchases. I mean, that's really what B2B is all about, right? Is high dollar value sales and repeat sales. So if you can find a consumer market that has those attributes, then it, it might not be a bad thing at all. But I, you know, we see it with people trying to develop apps in the app store. I mean, if you got to get 100,000 people to sign up or thousands and thousands and thousands of people to buy your product in order to make it a success and you don't have a bunch of money built in for marketing, you know, it's risky. That's all. I'm not saying it can't work. It's just risky. Let's talk that. Let's talk sourcing and material costs. What kind of margins or markups do you need to have to be successful? This is where a lot of inventors struggle is they're creating a product and then just say, okay, this cost me $10 to make. I want to make a little bit of profit on this. I'll add a value. How do you go about pricing products? So double whatever you think you can charge for it and charge that is one heuristic. And another one is four times the cost, the landed cost. So if it, that's, I mean, that's the kind of margin you're going to have to have built in if you ever want to go to retail. And even if you're going to go straight to consumer, that's going to give you margin enough to market and support the product. So yeah, if you're landing a product for $10, sell it for at least $40. It's just a rule of thumb. So when you say landing, that means your costs after shipping it to the US, right? Yeah, that's like in, in your warehouse cost. Okay, so this Ta- something taxes and all. That's something I want to get into because I'm currently working on developing my own product. I'm working on sourcing it. And this is a big challenge that a lot of people have. For sourcing, do you go Alibaba? Do you go just business connections that you have? What's your strategy when it goes to actually sourcing products for product development? What's your product, by the way? So, Dan, basically, this is what I'm building. Uh, it's a laptop case slash sleeve that converts into a standing desk. So imagine a typical laptop sleeve, neoprene, whatever it's made out of. Instead of something like that, it's going to be a bamboo hinged boxed, similar to a hardcover book in the way it opens. And if a hardcover book, imagine the pages are cut out where people have those hidden little, those hidden little treasure troves to hide money, etc. That's where you'd put your laptop. And then it folds open, you put a piece on top and it stands up there like a desk. It's really difficult to conceptualize. But basically, that's what I'm creating is a bamboo-based convertible standing desk. Cool. I definitely want one of those. Yeah, it's so convenient for the the on-the-go. You can never find standing desks around here. And I think it's really, I think it can be kind of cool. So I'm pretty excited about that. But let's get some, let's get some feedback for you from you in terms of actually sourcing products, because that's a challenge that a lot of inventors don't really understand. What would you recommend? Alibaba playing the personal connection book? What's the best way to find people to manufacture your product? Well, the most important thing is that you have specifications that are detailed or a prototype that's detailed. I think the best way, yeah, like Alibaba plus plane ticket. I mean, I think if you're serious about your product, you're serious enough to get a couple hundred dollar visa to China. That's really the best way to do it. If I mean, if you feel like you need to source it in China, first off, I mean, for a lot of products, you just don't need to do that. You can just go down to the local shop and start to work with those people on a prototype. I mean, I, I just think getting your hands dirty is critical to having a successful product. Unless you're white labeling something. I mean, if you're buying something that's off the shelf, then Alibaba's fine. You know, if you want yeah, a but pair if- of headphones that just have your logo on it or whatever. But if you're developing a new product, I think you got to work with the jig maker. You got to work with the engineers and you got to 
So you got to go there. That's what I would do. What's the time frame on that? Right now, for instance, I'm finding a prototyper right here in Saigon. He's helping me to create the product. Then I'm thinking I may need to go. I have connections with Vincent Co., the panda guy, which I'm sure you know, to his bamboo bamboo manufacturer over in China. How long would you say it takes once you've got that first or second prototype ready? You go and meet with manufacturers. How long is it good to be on the grounds, boots down, and working with the manufacturers to get that product perfected, especially before you launch that Kickstarter campaign? Yeah, I mean, you might you might be able to get a good prototype in a week or two. You know, 10 days might be something. I mean, if they're willing to work with you on it. And then I think you need to be back there for, you know, midway through production and on the final quality control run. So, yeah, I think that's, uh, it's tough to say because it really depends on how many manufacturers you need to get involved. Sometimes, you know, you're bringing in multiple pieces from multiple places and it, it just depends on the type of product too. I mean, and the level of supplier you're working with. I mean, there's so many variables. I could tell you a gazillion stories of different people doing different things. There's just not like a, this is how it gets done, clear path that I know of. And uh, we always have these episodes on our podcast where people like ask us China questions. And the episode always devolves into the pretty much the same thing, which is people share their experience on Alibaba or they share their experience going to the Canton Fair or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's just hard. Like it's just hard work, you know, like, and I think maybe the biggest thing, Matt, is is abnicating the responsibility to the manufacturer. Ultimately, if you're going to get into the product business, that's your responsibility. So, you know, don't leave it up to a factory to assume that they're going to make a good product for you or even care. They're not. That's your responsibility in a product company. You got to be there checking it, changing the specs, talking materials, talking process. And uh, that's what it's going to take to get a quality product. Would you say that's the biggest mistake that most people have first off when trying to create a product is just putting too much on the manufacturer and not taking responsibility? Uh, what, well, that's a definitely a big mistake. What are some other ones to avoid? Yeah, another, another one would be making things that people don't want. That's a common one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Another one, would, another one would be you know, not taking quality control and testing seriously and just sitting on a bunch of bad inventory. That can happen quite a bit as well. So speaking of sitting on inventory, you've got a lot of experience, especially through the podcast and everyone you've worked with, in different areas of business, specifically product-based businesses. So let's say someone out there, let's say I'm out there, I run a Kickstarter campaign, I crush it. What do I do next? Talk a little bit about the strategies of retail, wholesale, and e-commerce and kind of where you see each fitting in to different types of products. I'd love to pick your brain on that. Well, you know, if you're starting on Kickstarter, I just think that retail, this would be another mistake that people make. I think retail is really seductive, but I've rarely met somebody who's had their product in like a Fortune 500 retailer that has anything good to say about it. So it's just incredibly expensive and difficult and risky and low margin to do those things. So you might think that getting your product into a, you know, a place like Petco or Staples in your case would be like the, the big win, but it can end up being a pretty terrible thing because you might have to fund it. For example, they might put you on 180 day terms. Uh, if the inventory doesn't move, you might have to buy it back. So I think thinking that traditional retail is going to be a kind of a a savior or the end. I think that that's something that we thought when we started our cat furniture business. Yeah, you were going hard and, for uh, Petco, every, right? 
Yeah, we really tried to get that into Petco, and in, in retrospect, I'm just glad that it it never went down. It never went down like that. So that's that. Uh, in terms of of uh, e-commerce and Kickstarter, I mean, if you had success on Kickstarter, keep keep kickstarting. You know, I think one of the other mistakes people make is that they try to diversify a little early. You know, if you're having success with a particular channel, I think it makes sense to see how far you can take it before you start to diversify out and do all the things you're, quote, supposed to do. I think you're really good at the things that you're supposed to do. So that's what I want to jump into. So people out there that are creating products, a lot of times they have great ideas. But what would you recommend in terms of building a team, also potentially with founders? I know you and Ian work extremely well together. You're the ideas guy that really interacts with people and builds the brand, while Ian's a great product designer. How do you find not only a co-founder, but then the team that you want to build around that to turn that product-based business into something that can scale? Well, the biggest mistake people make with team is that they try to, they assume that, you know, the old hiring maxim of hire people that are smarter than you means hire people that can like do things that you don't know about. So I think it's a big mistake is like people try to hire in expertise into their business. Like, for example, I don't know anything about PPC, therefore I'm just going to pay a lot of money for somebody who says they're good at it. Or I don't know anything about sales, so I'm just going to hire a salesperson that says they're good at it. This is very often a huge cash risk and a mistake. Again, it's getting back to like what works for you and as the entrepreneur forging that precedent, turning it into a process and then hiring people to repeat that process that worked in the first place. Because every business is different. You can't just find some blowhardy salesperson and plug them into any business and see an improvement in sales. Yet, if you hang out with entrepreneurs, you'll hear them say it all the time. Like if I could just, if I just paid, you know, 65,000 a year plus X commission, if this person sold X amount, they'd pay for it. You know, that's very often a red flag. And so I think it's, if it's worth hiring for, it's worth doing yourself first, improving it, turning it into a process and then backfilling in staff that way. So let's say you suck at sales. How do you get better at that as a founder? It's tough because at the top of the show, you said, like, do what you love. And I think one of the tricky things about entrepreneurship is that people see the benefits of it and they forget that entrepreneurship itself is a skill set and it might be one that you don't enjoy. And so I find this a lot with actually aspiring entrepreneurs. And you said that a lot of people in your audience are inventors and it might be a good kind of gut check moment if you don't enjoy entrepreneurship then it might make sense to find that business partner that is has a track record as an entrepreneur, someone that can fulfill the duties of managing people, managing money, managing process. Because that's fundamentally what entrepreneurship is about. It's not about this great idea or that great idea. It's about, hey, there's going to be 15 ideas over the next five years and somebody needs to consistently execute on them. That's an entrepreneur. Exactly. And he executes the thing that we all... We all have challenges with, but that's the only thing that sets you apart from other people. I want to jump into the launch round now, Dan. How's that sound? Welcome to the launch round, where we take our guests through a series of rapid fire questions geared towards unlocking the inner inventor and entrepreneur in all of us. Get ready to blast off and unlock your inner potential. Let's do this. Dan, first question for you. Business books, life books, recommend some epic ones. Okay, so since the theme of this episode might have been, you know, what is entrepreneurship, you know, as opposed to being an inventor, being a product person, whatever, I think 
work the system is a really critical read in terms of understanding how process in in businesses work and what actually makes up a business. I think that Mastering the Rockefeller Habits by Vern Harnish um, is a book about scale, about process. And so those would be two business books that I'd recommend. Life books, where do you want to start? I just finished this book by, uh, I'm, I'm currently sad, Matt. I finished this book called The Winds of War, and uh, the second follow-up book was called uh, War and Remembrance by Howard Wook. And it's an incredibly epic, moving tale of uh, probably the most impressive story that humanity has ever told, World War II. So that would be my recommendation. World War II is incredible. Guys, check that out. And Dan, you're big on podcasting. That's really you helped change my life. I'm going to say that. So podcasts out there, not only your own, but others as well. What's worth checking out for people in terms of what we've talked about and you think could be really beneficial for these type of creatives? Uh, one of the better ones in this space would be Terry Lynn's Build My Online Store. Also check out Andrew Udarian's e-commerce fuel. You know, I don't know of a lot of product design podcasts. I don't know if there's stuff in like the industrial design space. Uh, I haven't really gotten deep into that. Again, I'm, I'm more on the entrepreneurial side of the fence. So those two podcasts would be a great start. And you're on the entrepreneurial side. That's why we wanted to have you on. Dan, are there any entrepreneurs or businessmen that really have influenced you? Any mentors that you'd want to give a shout out to? What'd they tell you? One of the ones that I read a long time ago was this book called Maverick by Ricardo Semler. And that's really a book. When you ask me about um, life books, one of the ones that always pops up in my head is The Old Man in the Sea. And part of the reason is it's, it's about grit and it's about doing things that are worth doing in and of themselves, not just necessarily because of the results that you're going to see. And I, I think that Ricardo Semler really is a visionary and incredible entrepreneur. Also, you know, the guys at 37 Signals had a, a big impact on me. They had this book called Getting Real, and you can download it for free. It's a PDF. And um, they talk a, a lot about, you know, not taking loans from people, focusing on building uh, high-quality products that create cash flow. That are, basically, they were the original gangster lifestyle business people. Hey, let's not like go, you know, you hear in the press, businesses that raise a million dollars are overrepresented, but what about the businesses that make a million dollars? Well, those people, they don't go out and tell everybody about it, but those are the types of businesses that I want to grow. Something that doesn't require me to manage a gazillion people or get interviewed by the New York Times every day and keep the hype going and keep my investors happy. How about just a good, solid base hit? You know, how about just making a quarter million dollars a year? And I think that that's really the businesses that I got attracted to. And that's what Getting Real is all about. Hell yeah. And that's what we're all excited about as well. I got to say, you were the person who really helped me see that from the Silicon Startups. I was literally listening to Tropical NBA while working at Airbus in Hamburg for an internship. <laughs> that's, that's kind of, yeah, I, I totally wanted to send it in. It was Lifestyle Business Podcast at the time. But I think... You guys are doing something really amazing. Let's get into you guys as we start to wrap up. Where is the best place for people to learn more about you? Learn more about the Tropical NBA. Learn about building a business from freaking anywhere. Yeah, well, the Bible is a four-hour work week by Tim Ferriss. That's probably, you know, if, if the whole idea of, of a lifestyle business or digital nomadism or location independence is is foreign to you, then I think 4-Hour Workweek is probably the best way to start. Tropical MBA is a website that we created in 2009. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, 
if if four hour work week is the blueprint, you know, uh, Tropical MBA is kind of like the bill of materials. You know, it's like it's kind of like you need to understand the plan before you understand Tropical MBA. So it's probably not a great introduction. It's more of like, okay, you're sold on this idea of location independence. You understand how time, income, and mobility work together as a system. You understand that wealth isn't reducible to money. So now we're interested. Okay, tropicalmba.com. Got to say, I found you guys before four-hour work week. Four-hour work week feels a little bit stale. Yeah, Tim Ferriss killed it, but I think people are really starting to catch on. What are some of the benefits you think of location independence, especially for people trying to create products? How can people make both work together? There's a lot of ways. You know, Jimmy and Doug from Manal, uh, they gave a talk at one of my last events and they were talking about, you know, using mobility as a as a competitive advantage. It's not, you know, location independent doesn't mean location ar- arbitrary. So, you know, if you can live anywhere, you know, make sure first off that, you know, you're tax efficient, uh, live somewhere that inspires you, somewhere that you love, get your best effort. And also, you know, when you have a manufacturing run, you know, go to your factory, press some flesh, you know, <laughs> check your stuff into the port, hand deliver it, you know, if it's your first production run. So, yeah, I think you can use it strategically as well. Um, the biggest one of the biggest ways it's really emerging is in hiring, Matt. You know, like you don't have to hire people in an office anymore. And so it, it keeps you competitive. You can hire the best people at the best cost, you know, where they need to be, where they want to be. So you get more out of your uh, staff. So I think there's a, just a myriad of ways that we can utilize location independence to build swifter, lower cost, more powerful businesses. Yeah, it's definitely changing the way people do things and outsourcing helps you get your campaigns launched, your businesses built and keeping your prices down. Dan, it's been awesome having you on. Sorry, it's been such a 60 minutes ask. Here's the questions answer. It hasn't flowed as easily, but I'm pretty pumped. I think it's been a pretty solid interview. Where's the best place for people to check you out? Say, hey, thank you for coming on and sharing a little bit of business insight. Well, come to this blog post. (laughs) I'll be there answer any questions people have uh and you can follow me on a tropical mba all across the web guys you should do it check out tropical mba dan uh him and ian usually are kicking it around you'll get a little bit of insight and a little bit of fun every single podcast episode dan thanks for coming on it's been awesome you've given me some definite things to think about and some great advice in the past and i know that other people are going to be inspired by this as well my pleasure matt awesome thanks dan Hey guys, I'm your host, Matt Ward, and I want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Art of the Kickstart, where we believe inventors, innovators, and entrepreneurs are changing the world and bringing humanity forward into the future. If you like the ideas in this episode, or you're interested in learning more about crowdfunding and how to kill it with your own Kickstarter campaign, you can check out more at artofthekickstart.com. And if you've been listening to the show, love the episodes, but you're not subscribed, that's got to change. You can go to artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes or slash Stitcher and get the episodes delivered magically to your phone. And if you like the show, I would love you forever if you leave a review on iTunes. It helps more aspiring inventors and creators out there find the show and find the information they need to kill it on Kickstarter. Until next time, thanks for tuning in, guys, and have an absolutely epic day.